You know, my, uh, I really annoy my family a lot for a lot, probably a lot of reasons, but one of them in particular is kind of have this thing, every time I'm going to preach, they always ask, what are you going to preach about? Especially Amy, she always says, so what are you preaching about Sunday? Um, and the answer is always the same, Jesus. What about him? He's good. Um, <clears throat> and they just get frustrated with me. Lily, last night, we were in the car, and um, we'd been at ball games over in Pryor, and we come back, and she, she asked me the question, Daddy, what are you preaching about tomorrow? Jesus. <laughs> and what about him specifically? He's, he's good. And, uh, and anyway, she kept on, the frustration built, but then I said, that's really the truth. That's what I'm preaching about today. Um, that is... That is the point. Hopefully, that's always, that's always the gist of it. But dialing in more specifically, uh, that is what we're talking about uh, this morning. Jesus and how great He is. Jesus is, Jesus is everything. Um, Jesus, Jesus is awesome. And I mean that in the fullest meaning of the word. Jesus, Jesus is, is awesome. Now, we used to go on these mission trips out in the jungle. A good friend of mine who was a missionary down in, in, in Mexico, um, I, 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 you know, we use that word very casually, very flippantly about a lot of things. So on the, as we would go out there on these trips, and this happened even over multiple trips, I would say, man, look at that view. That is awesome. And he would always have the same reply. That's a mighty big word for something so small. <laughs> And it got really old because I didn't realize how much I used that word, right? I say it about everything. Wow, that's awesome. That's really awesome. Mighty big word for something so small. And what he would do is he would say that and then he would quote Job 25 2, dominion and all belong to God. Dominion and all belong to him. And he got really annoying. Um, but he has a point. He has a point. Jesus is awesome, and it's, he's awesome in the fullest, truest meaning of the word. He really is the one who, to whom all awe belongs. Now, Hebrews, Hebrews is written, and we talked. We were actually in Hebrews last week too, but we're talking about faith from chapter 11. Um, we're back in Hebrews again this week, but now we're, we've gone back to the very first of the book in chapter 1. And uh, we're looking at who Jesus is, the fact that he's everything, that he's, he is awesome. Hebrews is, is, is written primarily to Jews that are needing some extra strength and some encouragement in the face of persecution, and really a call, a challenge, not to shrink back in the face of persecution. Um, that temptation was there because life had gotten really difficult for them. And so Hebrews is written to encourage them. Now, I will say this. If y'all picked up an outline on the back table this morning, um, it goes all the way through chapter 1. Uh, we're not doing all that this morning. Initially, it was going to be more of kind of a survey through there. And so I submitted the outline. But I studied a little bit more and I decided I'm kind of getting too much in here. So we're going to break this up into two. Okay, so this week and next week, uh, that outline will be your outline. Okay, it's, it's, we're going we're gonna to break this up into, into two uh, between this week and next week, I had my seminary president used to say, the, what was it? The mind can in, retain no more than the seat can endure, okay? So we're not going to try to do it all this week. We're going to break it up and uh, show a little mercy on you guys. And uh, we'll, we'll finish it off uh, next week. 
But Hebrews is written to, to Jews need some extra strength and some encouragement that this thing is worth it. Hang on. Keep looking at Jesus. That's what you need to do because it's going to be worth it in the end. It's all about Jesus and how great he is. That is the theme of Hebrews. Jesus is everything. He's greater than this. He's greater than that. We're even going to see some of that in chapter 1. He is the ultimate. He's the greatest priest. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than, than, than all the other prophets out there. He, he is the ultimate. Trust Him. Love Him. Believe into Him. Believe on Him. Cling to Him. In the Old Testament, you know, they had prophets and they had priests and they had kings. And here in chapter 1, we're going to see that Jesus fulfills all of that. We see him as prophet, we see him as priest, we see him as king, and he's the ultimate picture of every one of those things. Hebrews, and this is what I pray happens, just looking at chapter 1 here, this week and next week. Hebrews makes us fall in love with Jesus all the more because we see who he is and we see what he's done for us. We see who he is and we see what he's done for us. And, and I, hope, I hope we see it. I hope we see it this morning, and, and if we don't see it, um, we're really missing something because there is such a rich picture of Christ in this text, and I hope we do it justice this morning. Do you love Jesus? And I pray, my, my, goal, my goal this morning is really simple. I don't, it's not some crazy lofty thing that you understand all the points of this, that, and another. My goal, my goal is that I want you to see Jesus for who he is and what he has done and to love him more because of it. Let's love Jesus more because of it. So jumping into the text, jumping into the text this morning. Long ago, this is chapter 1, verse 1 in Hebrews. Long ago and at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. We're not going any further than that uh, this morning. But that's good. You, you can see just in those few verses... It's some really big language about who Jesus is. Let's look at it a little bit this morning. Number one in your outline there, God's revelation was completed in Christ. God's revelation was completed in Christ. Verse one says, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He's spoken to us by his son. You see in verse 1, you know, long ago it was the prophets delivered these, this incredible message of who God was and what it is that he desired and required from his people. The testimony of the Old Testament um, has been brought to a completion and a conclusion, though, in Christ, in what we have in the New Covenant, in Christ, in the New Testament. The Old Testament, we need to understand the Old Testament is not obsolete in any way right the old testament was good and true and it still is good and it still is true but it wasn't the whole picture it wasn't quite complete it was always looking forward and it was always pointing forward and what was it looking forward and what was it pointing forward to it was looking forward and pointing forward to jesus 
Verse 2 says, But in these last days He has spoken to us in His Son. Last days. Now when we hear last days, don't think, you know, end time eschatology deal. He's talking about from the coming of Christ until the return of Christ. These, these last days that we live in. In these last days, He has spoken to us in His Son. What does that mean? What does it mean that, G, that God has spoken to us in His Son? That this, this, this final, this complete revelation is coming through Jesus. What does that mean? Well, one thing it means is that Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. He's the perfect revelation of God. He's the living Word. A lot of places you can go there. John 1.1, 1, 1, y'all know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We read a few verses later that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is, is the Word, the living Word. We have the written Word, and He is the, he is the living Word. Um, you even go down to, to, to verse 8 there. No one has ever seen God. The only God is at the right hand of the Father. He has made Him known. In other words, Jesus is revealing God to us. Nobody's ever seen God. God's Spirit does not have a, a body like man. We can't see Him. We can't understand Him. But in Christ, God took on flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's come. He's, he's shown us the Father. He's shown us God in Himself. He's the Word or the, the, the revelation, the, 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 the revealing of who, who God is. What is God like? Here, here's the question. What, what is God like? I could ask you that question. The real simple answer is look to Jesus and see. What's God like? Look to Jesus and see. Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus. When you see Jesus, He's the image, the revealing, the revelation, the picture of the invisible God. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4 Talks about Christ who is the image of God. Christ who is the image of God. John 14, 9. Jesus said, If you've seen me, guess what? You've seen the Father. Jesus is this perfect revelation of God. We see God revealed in Christ through the Word, but we also have His words. So it, we, who is God? Well, Jesus is the invisible, the image of the invisible God. So we see who God is in Christ. But here's the cool thing too. We also get to hear from Jesus in the Word. By the way, it's all His Word. Every bit of it from beginning to end, Genesis through Revelation, is the Word of Christ. Okay, It's all His Word. And then we also have those parts in there where it's Jesus actually Himself in, in person teaching and we have that recorded for us as well. We have, the, we have Jesus showing us who the Father is, showing us who God is, but we also have Him speaking to us as God, and we have His words. There's nothing else that we need. It's all His words, but we even have the direct words of Jesus as He conversed, and as He taught, and as He corrected, and as He encouraged, and so much more. It's all captured in the book. It's all captured in His Word. I don't think we even begin to realize the treasure that we have in the Bible, Right? This, it's a big deal. This is a word from God. This is, this is what Jesus says. By the way, we're going to read some scripture this morning too as we go. Um, 
I had a, I had a lady tell me one time, she said, uh, I was getting kind of, I was pastoring, and this was an older lady, and, and I was getting slammed a little bit and, uh, on the preaching side. And she said, I just like that old-timey preaching where you read a verse, and then you preach us a sermon. And I thought, wow, how we got those two disconnected. By the way, you'll never, I can stand up here and say a whole lot, but the, you know when you can be absolutely sure you've actually heard from God? When we read the Scripture. Then you know you've heard from God. There's nothing more important that we do than read His Word. And then we explain it and help it understand the picture of what it means. But it's His Word. And what a treasure, what a treasure it is that we have. We have an amazing privilege to read it and study it because it reveals Christ to us. And in doing so, it shows us who God is. Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. He's spoken to us finally in His Son in these last days. He's a perfect revelation of God, but that begs the question, of, okay, if Jesus perfectly reveals God, if He's a perfect completion or the ultimate revelation of God, begs the question then, number two, who is Jesus? Okay, He reveals God, so what does that mean? Who is Jesus? Jesus. Hebrews just goes into this incredible description of who Jesus is, and I want us to look at that uh, for a few moments here this morning. Number one is the rightful heir. The rightful heir. It says in verse two, he is the heir of all things. Speaking of Jesus, the son who's come in, in his ultimate completed revelation, he says he's the heir of all things. He's the rightful heir in verse two. What does that mean? The heir, Who's, what, is, what is it about the heir? Well, the heir gets the inheritance. That's kind of the point, right? I mean, you have, you have the father who owns it all and the inheritance goes to the heir. All that the father has is given to the heir. So he's the, he's the heir of all things. And that literally means all things, right? I mean, there's nothing that he doesn't get. Don't, don't miss that. I mean, don't think just all kind of spiritual things or all, uh, certain people out there. It all belongs to him. It all belongs to Christ. Everything belongs to Him and it's going to come under His authority. Every person that exists, everything that exists, it's all His and all is under His authority ultimately. And even those things that don't seem to be now will be shown to be ultimately under His rule and reign and authority. Philippians 2.10, y'all know it. It's talking about the name of Jesus. And it says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow anywhere and everywhere they're found to Christ. He's the heir of all things. It all belongs to him. It's all coming under his authority For some reason, for some reason, that is too big and too great for me to grasp. The Bible tells us that the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and heirs with Christ provided that we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Romans 8, 16, 17. Do you see what, it, you see what that said? It's, it's, I, can't, I can't get my mind around this, okay? 
Here, here's the picture. So Christ is the heir of all things. In other words, everything belongs to him in Christ. It's, it's all his, all of creation, everything that exists, it all belongs to Christ. That's awesome. That's, that's incredible. But here's, the, here's just this cool thing. The Bible, the Bible tells us that we're children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. In other words, he shares. We get to share in everything that is good in Christ. He does that for us. We don't have to. We don't deserve it. We don't earn any of that stuff. But we get to have Christ who has all things. And in him, we share in everything that is good in Christ. So Christ is the heir of all things. It all belongs to him. And then the next thing is Christ, still in verse 2. We're not covered. There's a lot in just a very few verses here. He's the creator. He's the creator. It says through him, he, uh, through him, he also made the world. He also made the world through Jesus. We see this actually in several places in the New Testament. We think you know Jesus came on the scene in in Matthew, right in the New Testament when he was born. Well, we're told throughout Scripture that creation actually took place at the hands of Jesus. Jesus spoke it into existence. Colossians 1.16, speaking of Christ, says, All things were created by Him and for Him. Jesus made everything and He made it for Himself. Jesus is the Creator there. John 1.3, we read 1.1 while ago, but 1.3 says, All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He made everything, and without him, nothing else was made. Jesus is the creator. When you read Genesis 1-1 and it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Thank Jesus. Thank Jesus. He is the creator there. In the furthest star, in the furthest galaxy, at a distance that you can't even begin to see with our most powerful telescopes, there's not a single molecule or atom that Christ did not plan and form. He made it. He created it all. He's a creator. By the way, there's millions of stars or billions and millions or billions of galaxies. I don't even know that we fully know and Genesis 1.16 says, yeah, he made the stars also. <laughs> it's incredible who he is. Isaiah 40.12 says, he marks off the heavens with the span. We can't even begin to grasp light years, hundreds, millions, whatever of light years and light years and light years. And by the way, Hebrew span is this, okay? He measures it with the span. It's our God. That's our Savior. That's Christ. You are created by Christ. He created all things, and that means you. And here's the cool thing. If you're a believer this morning, you're not just created in Christ. You've been recreated in Christ as well. You've been created twice in Him, physically and spiritually. Ephesians 2.10, we are Christ's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Twice created by Him. He's the Creator. He's, the next thing is He's God's glory personified. God's glory personified. 
It says, it says in verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God. What does that mean? He's the radiance. He ra- he's not, he doesn't just radiate the glory of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus radiates or shines forth the glory of God. Now, we know that it was veiled to a degree in the incarnation. That's why it says in Philippians 2 that though he was in the very form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be held on to, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a man, and coming as a servant, and even suffering in that. It, it, it was veiled to a degree in the incarnation, but Jesus forever reigns in a, a kind of a... As I was thinking about this, the, 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 the word I chose to use is, was for a reason. He forever reigns in an ineffable glory. And what does ineffable mean? It means a glory that can't be described. It means there's not words for it. If it's something's ineffable, there's actually not words to begin to describe it. It's indescribable in that sense. Forever Christ reigns in a glory that we can't even begin to, to put into words. And when we do, we don't fully do it justice. Christ is the radiance of the glory of God. It's veiled, but Jesus forever reigns in indescribable, ineffable, infinite glory. You know, we have the prayer here. On Wednesday nights here recently, we kind of went through the prayer of Jesus in John 17, the high priestly prayer of Christ there. And we were walking through that. And we came to verse 5. And verse 5 in in that prayer of Jesus says, Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. In other words, I had all glory with you before. I came and did what you asked me to do. I completed that task. Actually, he's about to complete it at that point, but he's speaking as if it's a done deal. And now coming back to you and restore to me the glory I had with you before the world began. <clears throat> Full, complete glory. What's that going to look like? I want to do something here. I said we're going to read some scripture this morning. We're going to do that. I want to do something here. Because I think we have a lot of kind of crazy messed up pictures of what heaven is and what it's all about and what it looks like. Right? I mean, we're going to be walking around with halos and we're going to be doing, you know, and we're going to be just, it's just a bunch of leisure activities and it's just going to be all this stuff. And I think we really mess it up. And we have a lot of even books now that kind of help us mess that up. And it's not the picture of heaven that we see in Scripture. Because when we see heaven in Scripture, there's a throne and there's someone on that throne that overwhelms everything. It's a picture that is so centered on a person and his glory that everything revolves around that. Revelation 4, we read about the throne in heaven. John says, And after this I looked, and behold, the door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was taken in the Spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven and one seated on the throne. 
And the one who sat on the throne had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the 24 thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their hands. And from the throne came flashes of lightnings and rumbles and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Around the throne, on each side of the throne, what's just the throne, the throne, the throne, and the one sitting on it. On each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first is a living creature like a lion, the second living creature, uh, um, the second creature, living creature like an ox, and the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and they cast their crowns before him saying worthy are you our lord and god to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created chapter five then i saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back Sealed with seven seals, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break this, open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because there was no one found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, and he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people of God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessed 
blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. What is heaven like? It's centered around a throne. It's centered around a throne. And one whose worship just reverberates through everything. They can't, they just, they just, they, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then some revelation of Jesus and they just fall down and worship. And it just repeats. It's just this process of incredible worship because his glory is so overwhelming and drives us and will drive us to an eternity of, of worship before him. Jesus is the radiance of his glory, God's glory personified. He's the point. Worship is the point. The next thing is Jesus is the perfect picture of God. He's a perfect picture of God. It says he's the radiance of his glory, and it says he's the exact imprint of his nature in verse 3. He's the exact imprint of his nature. Now, we've already seen this really in verse 1. But we can't say it too much. What, in verse 1 we saw he's the perfect revelation of God, right? He's spoken to us through his son. And we, we saw that Jesus is revealing God to us through who he is. We saw several verses. He's the image of the invisible God. If you've seen me, Jesus says, you've seen the Father. He says, I and the Father are one in John 10. He's the perfect picture of God. Again, do you want, what is God like? Look at Jesus and you'll know and see. The next one is he's sovereign over creation. He's the sovereign over creation. This is kind of cool to me. So we already seen that Jesus created everything, right? He's spoken into existence by his word. Everything was made. He's also the sovereign over creation, though. It says he upholds all things by the word of his power. He upholds everything by the word of his power. He didn't just create everything. He holds it all together. Colossians 1.17 says, it says, it tells the same thing. It says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's a sustainer of creation. It's upheld at his command. Now, we have all kinds of ideas today. Now, I love to watch the Science Channel and all that stuff. It's kind of my favorite place to go a lot of times to watch TV. Um, if I turn on TV, it's going to go somewhere like that. Um, I, I enjoy that kind of stuff. But it's always kind of fascinating to me and interesting. We're always trying to come up with theories for why everything works when we don't really know. We know so very little but we, we're always trying to figure it out, which is great. Try to figure it out. But we're missing the point a lot of times. And so, I don't know. We have all the dark matter, right? Well, there's, some, there's so much thing we can't explain. Why does these things really work and hold together? Well, there's got to be this dark matter that we can't see, but we know it has to exist. Our string theory or there's, you know, all these different kinds of things that you hear described on there. And they're just our best attempt to figure out why does this stuff work? Why does this stuff hold together, quantum gravity, all this, these kind of things. Ultimately, the answer is we don't know. But here's what we do know. We, we really do know, I guess. Scientifically, there's a whole lot we don't know. I have no idea 
how Christ actually works it all out in this physical world, but I do know that the power behind it all is that Jesus spoke into being, spoke it all into being, and by his word it remains. He upholds all things by the word of his power. I don't know how it got there. I don't know how he does that exactly. I don't need to know, but he upholds it all by the word of his power. And not just all things. Here, listen to this. Jesus has got it. I mean, he created it. He's got it under his control. He's holding it all together. And not not just all things in some distant galaxy, not just all things in, you know, what's around us in the created being. Jesus has you. And he upholds you by the word of his power. Isn't that just an amazing thought that the God of all creation, that the God who's sovereign over creation has it, sustains it, controls it, does everything, has you and sustains you and carries you. You know, we're praying right now for our pastor and we know fully well he's safe in the hands of Jesus. We don't always know what that even means, but he's safe in the hands of Jesus. He's upheld. Jesus tells us to cast all our cares, one who holds everything in his hands. He says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Psalm 40.17 says, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You kind of say with the psalm, who am I that you're mindful of me? Who in the world am I that you're mindful of me? But he is. He upholds all things by the word of, the power, of his power, and that includes you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. I, I love this one. This is, this is kind of one that we've talked about and we read often as a benediction. We've preached on it. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and body and soul be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How's that going to happen? Because he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. He's got you. He's got you. If you're in him this morning, he's, he's got you. He upholds all things by the word of his power. That's all of creation, and that's me as his child. That's you as his child this morning, if you're in Christ. If you're his, he has you. We see that he's the self-sacrificing priest. Self-sacrificing priest. Again, back to, back to let me get back to my passage. You're back to verse 3. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And then listen, still in verse 3. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. After making purification for sin. That's a picture of a priest. That's a picture of the, that's immediately where the, where the, the Jewish mind would have gone there. This, the priests who are continually making offerings to God. Here he's seen as the priest. What did the priests do? They made sacrificial offerings for the purification of God's people. And they did a lot of them. They could never offer enough. I mean, it was always more and more and more offerings taking place. Without the, the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. We gotta, we're, we're terrible sinners. We've got to do offerings. And so there was a whole lot of bloodshed. 
Thousands and thousands of animals slaughtered in sacrifices there to God. And it was, still wasn't enough. We read in Hebrews 9, 24 through 28, we're not going to read all of that, but part of that says, it says, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed a man once to die and then after the judgment, so Christ has been offered once to bear the sins of many. He will appear at the second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are utterly, uh, who are waiting eagerly for Him. The priests made their sacrifices over and over and over, but Christ died once for sin. The priest, they didn't just have to repeatedly make sacrifices. They had all this whole regimen of sacrifices that they had to offer for themselves. Because they weren't worthy to make sacrifices for anybody. So they'd have to sacrifice for themselves so that they could sacrifice for the people. And it was never good enough. It was never enough. When Jesus went to the cross, He didn't make a sacrifice for Himself. Because He was right. He was perfect. He was without sin. Jesus needed no sacrifices for himself because he had no sin. By the way, the priests could also only make sacrifices that were provided to them. Either they had to go out and get it or people brought sacrifices and they sacrificed those things. The sacrifice Jesus offered was himself. He laid down his life. He has, we just read it a minute ago, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that we He might bring us to God. Christ suffered for our sins. It was the righteous one for the unrighteous. He's perfectly righteous. We're perfectly not righteous. We're great sinners. And he gave himself for us. He didn't give himself for himself. There's a sense where he died for his own glory, yes. But the sacrifice for sin was for our sin because he was perfect. He gave himself for us that he might bring us to God, Philippians 3.18 says. He's brought us to God. I am free. I am forgiven. How? How does that happen? Because Jesus gave his life for me, as we just read in the text. And finally, this is where we're going to end this morning. Jesus is the ultimate hero. He's the ultimate hero. It says he did that. He made purification for sin. And then what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Still verse 3. Made purification of sin, and he sat down at the right hand of God, the majesty on high. Sat down. By the way, that just, that just means the work's completed. It's done. He's seated now at the right hand of God. He did it. The right hand. What is the right? Why does it say the right hand of the majesty? What is that all about? Again, the right hand is the place of honor. It's the place of ultimate honor and authority. And it's all given to Christ. He's done it. 
It's like, you know, this, this hero who leads, who leads a, an army for the nation into battle and they have an incredible success and the people are saved and he comes back to this heroic fanfare and this parade and maybe a trip to the Oval Office to be greeted by the president and he's, he's celebrated in everything that he's done. It's kind of like that, but on an infinitely greater scale. Jesus has come and he's done it and he's conquered and he's come back to heaven as the ultimate hero there of heaven and he's set the place of honor and forever to be worshipped in that place. Set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus completed the ultimate work of redemption and will forever be honored as the ultimate hero of the story. For all eternity. What, what's going to happen? We just read it in, Hebrew, in Revelation 4 and 5 a minute ago. But what's going to happen for all eternity? We won't be able to help ourselves. But in His presence, we're going to cry out to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and forever. There's not enough that can be said here. But that's okay because we're going to have all eternity to be saying how great he is. Who is Jesus? I didn't know a better way to say it than just to say Jesus is everything. He's everything. Next week we're going to see that a little bit more. We're going to see how he's greater than the angels. And we're going to take a deep dive into the fact that Jesus is God. By the way, I gave you a couple of blanks in your outline. Bring it back. You'll be ahead of the game next week. Let's get a bigger picture of who Jesus is because that really is the point for us. So what are we supposed to do with this? Here's what you're supposed to do with this. Here's what I pray you do with this. I pray you love him more. I pray you realize just how incredible he is, how small we are in ourselves, but how cool it is and how amazing it is that we are in Him. Love Him, live for Him, surrender your life to Him. That's the point. That's what we do with this. Lord, thank You. Thank You for letting us see who You are. God, we don't deserve anything but to be struck down dead before You in our sin yet you first came and made it possible for us to know you you made us right what an amazing you made us right with you and then you've showed us fully who you are in Christ and God that's we think we say thank you God help us to see help us to have a bigger image of who you are help us to love you more because of it pray this in the name of Jesus amen